This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined as I am each and every week by Bazooka Joe Valtellini in a bit of an abridged edition this week. No event this Saturday. So what we're going to do is we're going to provide a recap of this past weekend's event, a bit of a brief recap, and then we're going to look ahead and we're going to look at some of the upcoming bouts that have been announced recently, basically up until... July. I think there are a lot of different bouts that have been announced that we can touch on, so we're going to do that. But Joe, first off, how are you? Not very good go. to start. The tech difficulties, but uh, life has been busy. It's, I mean, I had one of the busiest three weeks in my life between cars breaking down, new cars, insurance, new leases, gym. And it's been one of the craziest two weeks of my life as a business owner, as a commentator, as a coach, but uh, I'm hanging in there. All right. Well, well, we'll make this a fun one because we can just kind of look ahead. You you do a lot of your best work just kind of breaking down matchups, so we're going to do that. We're going to take a look at some of those, and we'll take a look at this past weekend's event. We got Curtis Blades defeating Chris Dawkins 17 seconds into the second round. The first fight of his UFC career where he did not attempt a single takedown, but he gets the win, and apparently suffered uh, some sort of foot injury and might be on the shelf for a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah, I think uh, Curtis had something to prove that night. I mean, I feel like we all expect him to wrestle, especially with someone like Chris, but... Uh... Got it done on the feet, looked good, and I think it just shows uh, how evolved he is and how he's probably ready for some of the bigger fights of the division and maybe a title shot very soon. I spoke to him last week, and I said to him, you know, this has been bothering me since the last time we spoke, which was before the fight against uh, Derek Lewis. And I said, you were doing so well against Lewis on the feet. You were beating him to the punch every single time. Why... Go to the wrestling in the second round. Like, why not just stay on the feet and and continue to pick him apart? It seemed like he was really um, taking a lot out of Lewis, and that Lewis's best path was to catch him with something. If he was going to come in with wrestling, similar to how Engano did, so he basically said to me, and I didn't really ask it in such a frank manner, but he basically said to me, you know, I was beating him on the feet. I should have kept it on the feet, and yeah. basically my my training to always go wrestling first really uh, hurt me in that fight because. He, his mindset is always like, wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. If you see any openings, if you see you can get the ways to take him down. He's like, in the future, if things are going well on the feet, don't look for me to be going for takedowns. I'm just going to keep it there if I'm doing well. So I thought that was a good look at his mindset going forward. Yeah, no, he looked great, and he uses his length well. He kind of uses straight punches. He does all the right things on the feet. I mean, it's just when you look at the division, he's probably the best wrestler. So it's kind of hard for him not to, right? I mean, who would you put as a better wrestler in the heavyweight division? Nobody. He's he's the greatest of all. Yeah. Not only is he the best yeah. wrestler his, statistically in terms of takedowns landed, he's almost doubled up as the next person. Like, Cain Velasquez has 34 takedowns, and Curtis, I think, has 62. So he's almost <laughs> doubled up the next best wrestler. So I think it's fair to say that Blades is one of the most prolific wrestlers in terms of MMA wrestling and takedowns yeah. that we've seen in MMA. Yeah, I mean, we we're, I know we're th I thought about Brock Lesnar there, but the fake wrestling, obviously. But uh, no, I mean, I think you're right. And I think he almost has to use that when he gets a little bit more to the, the other guys in the top of the division. Like, how would he do on the feet against Surreal Gun or something like that? Would he have to use his wrestling? But I think the fact that he has the option to do both very well now is one of the reasons why he's going to do very well. Right. Basically, he can strike, strike with people. And then if he sees that things are going south, he can use his wrestling. Or if he feels like, again, I, I think Gone is a great example. If he's facing Cyril Gone and Cyril Gone 
you know, his best way to win that fight, of course, is using takedown. Is, sorry, is using uh, his technical striking. If he's creating distance and Blades is having a tough time catching him, look for Blades to switch to the wrestling. But if he feels like yeah. he can win fights on the feet, he might just stick with that. Yeah. So what's next for Curtis? What do you think? Where should he go from here? Well, like I mentioned off the top, apparently he has some sort of injury, like a foot injury that might keep him out of action until close to the end of the year. Uh, he called out Cyril Gaon, and then Cormier quickly diverted his attention to Stipe Miocic, who was like sitting in the front two rows. He said he wanted to fight <laughs> yeah, Gone yeah. for an interim title. I'm thinking, Stipe's in the building. Like, you, you haven't yeah. served you on a silver platter. Stipe deserves a shot more than Cyril Gone at the interim title. Why not just call out Stipe? But he gave Stipe props. He said, you know, I think Stipe is the greatest of all time at heavyweight. And yeah. if I were to beat him, it would be such a big accomplishment for me. I think it was almost out of respect that he didn't call out Stipe. But, uh, yeah, I think for, for Blades next, it's kind of one of those, let's see how the cookie crumbles type situations. Because I think... I wouldn't be surprised if John Jones makes his heavyweight debut this year against Stipe. I think that is a potential yeah. thing. That I think that would be the most qualified fight for an interim championship. You know, a lot of people are talking okay. about tournaments and that, but the UFC don't really do tournaments. So yeah, no, no. what they usually do is they just match everybody up. It's kind of a pseudo-tournament, but um, I think that that's probably what we'll see. Is We'll see some of the top heavyweights. We'll see like Aspinall maybe matched up with a Cyril Gaon or somebody towards the top. We'll see... Uh, what happens with Blades and how long he's going to be out for. Derek Lewis, of course, is another one you could pair against Aspinall or something along those lines. Uh, lots of different possibilities in the heavyweight division, but I would not be shocked if we see an interim title bout sometime in the next, I don't know, five, six months with John Jones yeah. and Stipe Miocic. Yeah, it's still, it's still weird for me to see Tai Tuivasa sitting at three. I mean, the fact he got up there and he's still, to me, almost not talked up uh, enough in that position but I think out of the the top right now, I uh, Tui Vasa. I'd rather see. I don't know who I'd rather see with Gone. Probably Curtis Blades or Aspinall with Gone over maybe like a Tui Vasa Gone. Yeah, I think Aspinall's a little bit more uh, momentum right now, maybe with name and I don't know. I'm liking Aspinall moving up quicker. Yeah, they've all kind of fought recently too, so uh, that's another good thing about it. Is you make the matchups and you go from there. So interesting situation in the heavyweight division is probably the most crowded we've seen at the top of the heavyweight division maybe ever <laughs> in terms of the yeah, potential people yeah. that can fight for a title i just like the new names i think it makes it interesting when have we really seen new names pop up in that top five i mean to see tui vasa aspinall coming up it's just uh it's nice to see fresh names in the top yeah and for a while we were looking at like the rosen strikes of the world uh blades like it's kind of like this is kind of the next generation of heavyweights so it's pretty interesting to see uh, if I, if you would have told me that the fastest finish of the night would have been Alexa Grasso defeating Joanne Wood with a first round rear naked choke, I would have told you you were out of your mind. But yeah. them's the facts. Fastest finish of the night. Yeah. Alexa Grasso looks fantastic. Yeah, I mean the way she kind of came in, kept composed, knew Wood was a probably a better striker on the feet, but I thought she did well all around. And to go in there, take her back, and get the submission was beautiful. Absolutely, and she's she's looking very good. And uh, earlier in the night, Manon Fioro defeated uh, Jennifer Maya and made a, a pretty big statement there as well. So we're going to see how that plays out. I thought Maya did better than the judges' scorecards indicate. Like, this was 30-27 across the board. I thought Maya looked good in the first and second round. Uh, whether or not she won those rounds, I think, is, uh, you know, another question and up for debate. I gave Maya the second round, but I still think that uh, she looked pretty good in that fight. And now I think you match up Furo and Grasso. They're on the same card. They're two of the top top contenders right now at flyweight, and I think that should be a title eliminator. Yeah, and Firo, she called out, I believe, uh, Caitlin Chukagian, right? Yeah, but Chukagian's matched up. She's matched up okay, with but, um, with Hibas. 
Yeah, but that seems like a great fight to me too. Oh, for sure. That'd Tall, long fight. strikers, very good. Yeah, I think that's the the future matchup I'm looking forward to. Yeah, it's a very good matchup. I agree. And uh, Caitlin Jukagian resigns with the UFC. There was a lot of questions about whether or not she'd resign with the UFC. She has. She's represented by CAA, so I think that's why some of the questions were being asked. But she's back. She's facing Amanda Hebas on a future card. Uh, Brian Barbarena taking on Matt Brown in Brown's hometown. He wins a split decision, 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. Now, here's a couple things that come out of this fight that I, I find interesting. Matt Brown's talking about how there should be open scoring, how he would have, he, he took his foot off the gas in the third round because he thought that he'd won the first two. The thing is, his corner told him he won the first two, and just about everybody else thought that he lost the second round. Right? Like, if you're doing, if you're in the corner, you can't definitively tell your fighter that they've won the round unless you're 100% certain. And I, I just think that whether or not there's open scoring in that situation, I think that probably does help Matt Brown. But at the same time, if you've got a coach telling you you're up 2 nothing, they're doing you a massive disservice. I actually thought Brown did a better job in the third round than he did the second round. But I, I just don't know. Like, Brown's blaming the judges. He's blaming everybody here. He should look at his corner. Mark Coleman shouldn't have told him he was up two, two rounds to none. That's just – that was wrong. Yeah, I, I also think it was – uh his gas tank was low too. So, I mean, at this point, a lot of times it looked like he was moving to survive and to catch his breath and not to survive, but I mean, in order to catch his breath again. So I think he had limited gas and he kind of had to conserve it as much as he could. But yeah, when, when you have a second round that's close like that, you got to push no matter what. I mean, especially with the way scoring is going now, you can never do that. Yeah. I mean, I would but always at the same like, time I mean, though, your corner tells you you're up to nothing. You're going to listen to them. Yeah, but I mean, he can feel it too. He's an experienced guy. He knew it was probably a close round. I'm sure he, in his mind, he felt it more than anybody else. So, yeah, I mean, I just uh, watching it uh, again when I'm watching. Sometimes I'm with friends. Um, you know, I'm not really absorbed in it, but I felt like when watching it, he did enough to win personally. Who, Matt Brown? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought I thought he won the first and third rounds. I just thought the yeah. second round was a pretty clear Barbarina round, and I thought it was a a pretty big surprise. To see his corner tell him it was up to nothing. I think had he had he put just a little bit more into that third round, he would have won. So what do you think the judges saw to give it to Barbarina that the last round? The third round was just really close. Like it was just a very close round. I I, I can't fault them for giving it to Barbarina. That was one of those rounds where the the problem with a round like that third round is Brown did the better work at the beginning of the round and Barbarina yeah. did the better work at the end of the round. And I think that just human bias is. You remember the most recent, I mean, it's recency bias, so they call it recency bias. Yeah. You remember the most recent images in your head. To me, if, if I'm judging a fight, I'm marking down moments. Like, how good of a moment, like, if, 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 it, if I, I'd, I'd put moments in my head. This is a two-point moment. This is a one-point moment. This is a two, and just kind of tabulate it as the fight's going on. Have two sides of a piece of paper, and that way you can objectively look at it at the end of the round. Take a look. What has line, one, what has more lines on either side? That's who yeah. won the round. I mean, you can, you can look at it that way and, and make it a more impactful, you know, way of looking at it. But at the same time, like, I can't fault them for giving Barbarina the third round. It was a close round. Yeah, no, sometimes even when I'm trying to look critically at fights, I almost look at time as a factor too, right? Like, you're like, all right, who's winning? Where's the momentum shifts? And I'm like, okay, you were had the momentum for, you know, three minutes and 30 seconds of the rounds because I think time has to play a factor. In five minutes, like you said, I forget what I did two minutes ago. Never mind five minutes ago. That's crazy. So You know, people are critical of the judges, but if you look at this entire fight card, there were eight decisions and only two rounds scored differently in the entire night by the judges. I think you've got to give the judges a hand for being at least having consensus. I don't think that this was a bad night for judging at all. No, I mean, consistency is key. 
I mean, I think the other fight people were talking about maybe could have went the other way. Maybe was the Magni Griffin fight. Yeah, I, I scored a 29-28 Magni. I, I don't think you can make much of a case for Griffin to have won anything outside of the first round. Griffin for sure won the first round, but I think I think two and three were clear Magni rounds, in my opinion. I mean, one of the judges gave Griffin, I think, the third. Um, and some people were saying they thought Askarov beat Kaikar France, which I, that I can't wrap my head around. Yeah, no, that one I thought Kai. See, I, watching though, I, I felt it was very close. To be honest, I wasn't sure, but I kind of sided a little bit with Kai, so I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if it was biased or, or or not. But watching it live, I was like, I don't know, I don't know who won personally. So it was I close, thought it here, was really. Here's close. the way I'll put it: it was a close fight, but the rounds weren't close. Like I think that the first round was a clear okay, Askarov round, clear Askarov round. Okay. Second round, clear Kayakar France round. And I thought in the third round, if you look at the stats after the fact, and stats don't always matter, but he doubled up the amount of significant strikes that Askarov had. Askarov didn't have anything that would constitute as effective grappling. So it's, in my opinion, a pretty clear round for Kayakar France. Like, it's not like Askarov landed any shots that were particularly big. He had one really nice counter, but I don't think you can give him the round off of that because Kai was landing pretty good shots of his own. So I just thought that that, I think that was a pretty clear decision. I think the judges, obviously, they were unanimous as well, so... For people saying that they thought Askarov won because oh, he was putting in more danger with the grappling, he wasn't. It's like that's just not how fights are scored. Yeah, I mean, what was the the biggest threat was what was like a standing guillotine? I believe he almost had. Was that in the, the first round? round too? Right. In the third round, there wasn't much. It was kind of like he was getting into grappling situations, but not. I don't think he successfully completed a takedown. And I think he got to his back for like a split second, but he, he wasn't able to secure any sort of choke or anything like that. So that's just the change of position. So. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty clear for, for Kai Kara. <laughs> Two France. weird factors from this fight. Askarov is 80% death. Is that what I heard? Yeah, correctly? Askarov is 80% death. A- he participated in the death Olympics. Yep. So, like, I mean, I, does he have communication with this corner? Or is it just between rounds? Do I would you know imagine what, between what extent, rounds he can amazing. hear them. And during the fight, he probably can't. I mean, they're yelling stuff. But uh, if I was Askarov's corner during the rounds and I was coaching him, I would just, every time he landed a shot, I'd be like, yeah! Just try to coach <laughs> yeah, the judges instead of coach him. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, when you think about Matt Hamill, Matt Hamill was completely completely deaf. deaf. Yeah, communication so sign language eighty percent. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's impressive. It's it's another factor that people don't think about, and I mean, sometimes it could be good because it blocks out crowd noise, maybe. But I mean, you want to hear the instruction because when you're in that focus zone, you don't really hear the crowd anyway. So, yeah, I just think it's uh, still impressive to to kind of go that far with hearing. One more thing I want to touch on in that Brown and Barbarena fight. You're somebody who is ringside for fights that have open scoring. And as soon as I saw that Helwani was having Matt Brown on, I knew that the whole premise of it was to talk about open scoring because Helwani is a big advocate for open scoring. And I see the pros and the cons, but as somebody who does commentary for a sport that has open scoring and somebody who's been a coach in both kickboxing and MMA, I'd love to hear your opinion on it. Um, I always say I like common, I like the scores as a commentator because it helps my job out. And I mean, I don't like to because every commentator is going to tell you when they're watching fights, they're looking at notes, they're picking up different things. So you're not really focused exactly on the fight itself. And what happens is your broadcast partner always asks you your opinion on who you think wins. So at that point, it's kind of like I, I'm kind of creating who I thought based on, but I'm not fully watching the fight yeah, for not, that. You're not judging with a real criteria in your mind. I'm not judging with the real criteria. No, I'm, I'm kind of seeing what's going on, but I'm looking at notes and creating conversation. I'm watching the corner's reaction. So there's so many things I'm watching. So I like that it takes the pressure off of me. If I was fighting, 
I think I would like to know personally as well. I mean, I always, but to me, if you watch my fights, you know, I'm up two rounds. I'm still going to go hard in the third because I want to finish. I'm, I was just always that person. I would never take my foot off the gas regardless what the score was because I always wanted the knockout. I, it was pride because I think I started my career like 10, 10 wins, you know, and like nine by knockout. And I only had two of my fights go to decision. So it was a pride thing for me. And even my fighters, we try to go, but I think it helps. I think I like open scoring. I think the judges should even like in some sports put their judges score like judge one is so and so. And this is what he put. I think it should be clear personally. I am the downside I always get from people and my broadcast partner, Todd Grisham. He doesn't like it because he thinks it takes away the excitement a lot of times of because you already know who's going to win. It takes away that surprise element. But I think with the way judges are, the way they're scoring, they're unpredictable. Each one is different. I think it should be the fighter's right to know. If the judges were amazing and they had a foolproof system, and then I would say, yeah, keep it without it. But if until they're consistent and better, I think open scoring is the better option. Yeah, I've been swayed a little bit on this because I was pretty against it. I've watched a lot of fights with open scoring. Um, especially in boxing, I find that the judges are going to be bad regardless. Like if I watched the the fight that I always point to is Canelo versus Austin Trout. It's a fight that happened in Texas near the border of Mexico. Austin Trout was having so much success in that fight, and the judges just kept giving the rounds to Canelo regardless. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. like uh, you know th- that kind of thing, I think is always going to be an issue in general. But you know, I personally think that the half point must system is a better way of of judging fights if you were going to change the judging criteria, open scoring. I think that you will see fighters take their foot off the gas in the third if they're up two rounds. Not, not take their foot off the gas. Let me rephrase that. Because no fighter is going to take their foot off the gas. They're not going to gas pedal. But I think they're going to be more conservative. I think they're going to be more defensive. And I think that that can take away from the excitement of a fight. I don't think that the UFC are going to sign off on open scoring. Let's just put it that way. I think that from an entertainment standpoint, if you are the promotion and you're looking at it from the vantage point of the viewer and production, you don't want people to know the score. Yeah, I, I get it. It creates controversy maybe mid time. But I think a lot of the open scoring, like I don't I don't think they're played in the arena, the open scoring. So I think sometimes like glory for itself, I think it's only maybe played to the live TV. It's not I don't believe it's in the arena. Again, I So that's, that's the other thing that. is like maybe you can like how public. Well, is ma- it? Yeah, maybe you can make it so that like you tell the corners. Uh, well, the thing is, they show the corner audio, right? So if the corners like, yeah, you're up 10, nine. Or like you won, you won that ju- that card on two judges scorecards. People at home will know what happened, but I think that uh, th- there could be a way where you can get the scoring to the corners and not share it on the broadcast. But again, yeah. now I think you're just kind of starting to jump through hoops. Because I think Invicta brings an iPad to the corner to show them. I yeah, believe because the, the commission, the Kansas Commission, um, has open scoring as part of their regulations. Yeah, and that's the but other like thing. It's said, not like the UFC can be like, "We want, we're going to have open scoring now." It's like, no, it's it's a commission thing. Yeah, but like as you said earlier about put, pushing the foot off the gas. If I'm down two rounds and you're going to take the foot off the gas, guess what? I'm putting the foot on my gas because I'm coming after you because I'm losing. So in my mind, it kind of balances it out. You know, yeah, the yeah, person, I, I can see that. You know, but they should know if they're down two rounds at that point sometimes too. But in right. close rounds and close fights, I think it's sometimes it's important. Like. Matt Brown, our our fighter's gonna naturally lay off and slow down a little bit. Like did Matt Brown knowing is it gonna help him? I don't know, but I think if they kind of should know, uh, you know, and until the judges are better and consistent, we should know. But the thing is, Matt Brown wasn't down. Like Matt Brown wasn't down going into the third round. It was a tie. It was even. 
right? Yeah. So that's the thing you got to look at. It, it, again, that's why I blame the corner in that situation. But maybe if he does know definitively that he's that it's a tie, that he needs to win the third round, maybe he does put a little bit more in that. that that's why I think open scoring does make sense in some facets, for sure. It's nothing that I'm vehemently against. And I'm actually going to the uh, the ABC, the uh, Association of Boxing Commissions and Combative Sports, are holding their annual uh, convention in Niagara Falls, New York. So I'm actually going to go. It's in July. And I'm going to go and take nice. a judging class and a refereeing class and sit in, ask some questions, meet some of the people on the regulatory side and, and ask them about open scoring and ask them about a half point mouse systems because these are things that I think the public are interested in knowing about. Yeah, I think it's been a, a topic that pops up every single event. So I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it's important that people start. I, do, I still don't understand what Glory does do better is at least they have five judges, in my opinion, that's better. You know, three, it takes literally two, like it just, you know, I'd rather have five people at least. If one's wrong, you're still kind of going to get a better decision. Two wrong, you're still going to probably get the right decision. Two wrong out of the three, you gave it to the wrong person, you know? Mm, so right. I like five for sure. And I don't see why they can't add judges at home, like a, a bulk bulk of them, you know? Like maybe like that, the, I know there's a website or something, but if there's like 50 people watching at home. You're thinking of and Verdict, then, I think, the Verdict app. Yeah, and then at the end of the day, if that can maybe count as one of the judges, you know, that of all those people, if they all decided, I don't know, there's got to be something better than relying yeah, so much Yeah, the problem with that is you've got people judging don't know the scoring criteria, right? Like if, if people at home are like, oh, that's a 10-9 round because he had like no, I'm not four minutes general, of control time. We're talking, I'm talking get people like yourself, talking people who are okay. studying it, other I got journalists, you, like home, other like a, a panel of home judges. Using yeah, like home the judges software. who aren't working that night, you pay yeah. them twenty, uh, fifty, hundred bucks for the night, fifty bucks for the night, and they can watch at home and just kind of tap if they're watching anyways, and it just kind of helps with a a more universal verdict. I don't know. I think it's something we can think about. And I had an idea for Fight Pass where they hire a judge to work in broadcast only, like get them to stop judging fights. They they are now an employee of Zufa or whatever, and you have them at the events. Going through their scorecards after fights. You have them on Fight Pass breaking down rounds that were very close from the weekend's events like that next week. I'm going to watch this fight. I'm going to explain how it was scored and why the, why I believe the judges scored it this way. I think just furthering the education of the viewer will make for a more, um, you know, more educated audience, which I think is important. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, like I've, I've picked up on it the last few events. I really enjoy Din Thomas's little insight when they throw him in. I think he adds a little fun and and everything that's thinking in my head where I'm like, why aren't the commentators saying these things technically about the fight happening? Boom, Din Thomas is right on with it. He's good with it. His strategies are point on. His assessment of the fight is perfect. I think he's very good. Yeah, and have a judge that really does good. that. I think you can throw to a judge that. Yeah. Hey, that was a really close round. We're going to throw to Mike yeah. Bell. He's going to tell us about what happened in that round and why, so. why he scored it a certain way. Perfect, because it yeah. educates the audience every time you do that. But again, that's just beautiful. Me. Yeah, uh, I, but I think a lot of those guys don't want that because then they're bashing their friends, or it goes against the brotherhood of the, you know. No, they but that's protect what I'm saying. Each other. They have, they don't know what the scorecards are at that point in time, right? If you're, if you're yeah. that judge and they throw to you at that time in real time, they don't know how you're the just giving your opinion. Yeah. yeah, just giving your opinion. Yeah, no, I like that. I hundred percent agree with that. And then, I mean, I think after the fact, that's where you're getting a little bit tricky is if like two of the judges scored for one fighter or one of the judges scores it for another fighter and you say, well, watching it back, here's how I would have scored it. You're kind of going against the fraternity, so to speak. But I still think yeah. that it would be kind of understood that that's what their role is. Or you find somebody who's got judging experience that it isn't part of that immediate fraternity. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I think that there are ways no, like you can it. do it. 
All right, let's move forward. I agree. And just look quickly at a lot of the big up-and-coming matchups. Get your feel for it. First question for you. Do we want to talk about 273? Because we're going to talk about it next week. Should we just skip over 273 and look ahead to the uh, other matchups? Sure. Let's I'm, skip I'm 273. So we're going to talk about that. There's a week. lot of good fights that I'm sure we'll be talking about. Yeah, we don't want to so. sound like a broken yeah. record. Main event the week after, April 16th. Vicente Luque, Bilal Muhammad. What do you think the odds are, Joe? Do, do you have them in okay, front of you? I'm not, I'm not looking. No, no, no. Okay. I'm not looking. Uh, Vicente Luque versus Bilal. I have a feeling based on... I'm going to go Vicente Luque minus 175. You're right on. Really? You're bang on. I was right in that range, yeah. Jeez, all right. I nice. think that that's probably where it should be. I mean, these guys have fought before in Luque 1. But they're totally different fighters now. I think they've both improved a lot. But, uh, yeah, that's where they have it. I mean, this is a five-round fight. The thing about Luque is, like, if you take him down, he's still so dangerous. He's got that darse choke where if you, like, you slip for one second, he's going to get you in that darse choke. And on the feet, I think he's got a pretty marked advantage over Bilal Muhammad. So I can see why the odds are this way. Um, very interesting fight, though. I think that, that this is one where we're going to, you know, it's going to say a lot about who's, who's doing what in the welterweight division because this is going to move somebody up the ladder. Yeah, and Bilal honestly is a live underdog. Very, very good. The way he pressures, the way he grapples, I think he's uh, almost like a good striker's nightmare because he can kind of stay in your face, wrestle well, pin you against the cage, take you down. I think it's going to be a tough fight, a very tough fight for Vicente. And I can tell you, there's nobody on the planet that are going to be cheering for Gilbert Burns more than these two men because if Gilbert Burns wins that fight against Shemaev, like they're next, basically. Yeah, yeah. Not to mention that Luke is one of Gilbert Burns' best friends in the entire universe. So, I mean, that, that helps they, too. It'd be in his corner too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He'd be in his corner. He's, he's not only going to be cheering for him, he'll be giving him advice. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a fight I'm excited to talk about next week. Your thoughts on that one, the Shemayev one. Yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, let's move forward. Now you've got main event, Amanda Lemos against Jessica Andraj. Do you have any sort of feelings on this fight? Uh, it's kind of a weak main event. Just- yeah, I was going to say Andrade is always yeah. fun to watch. It's more of uh, how can they most do. I mean, they're kind of uh, really having to dig deep to find top women in the division now, I feel. Well, Andrade is ranked number one. So, I mean. And I, Lemos 10, right? Yeah, Lemos is ranked lower. But Lemos is also, like, I think 35. So, this is kind of a, like, this is a fight that's really going to be her career-defining fight, really. Because if she wins this fight, now she's going to be right in the mix for a title fight. If she loses this fight, now what? But this is, I think this is a strawweight fight, right? Lemos is a strawweight. Yeah, it is strawweight. Yeah, so, yeah. so Andrade going back to strawweight. Interesting. So interested in this one. I think that it's going to be a really good action fight. Both of these women are action fighters. They both like to throw a lot of punches. Um, Lemos plus 145. Is, eh, she's somewhat live, I'd say. But I would probably lean Andrade in that fight. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, but I'm, sure. I'm pretty high on Lemos. She's a really good fighter. Yeah, no, I can see that. But Andrade, uh, people say I look like her. So I cannot <laughs> go against her. That's it. She's like mini bazooka, we'll call her. All right. Depends who's older. I think I'm older than her. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you are too. But not by much. Um, another fight that I just realized was on this card earlier today. Suma Derji against Manel Kopp. That's an amazing fight. Uh, oh, yeah. I love that fight. Suma Derji. Yeah, I'm telling you. Muderji, I have a feeling, is going to be one of the champions of the division. I feel like, I don't know, something about him cornering against him with Malcolm. He's tall. He's rangy. I studied his stuff. I'm Sumaderji is something special. Mm-hmm. And Manel Kopp is good. too. Manel Kopp's yeah, amazing no, fighter. I agree. So that's yeah. why I love that fight. Like, I think, I, I posted earlier today, this is going to be a great fight. I think that I'm convinced that one of one of these two guys is going to fight for a, uh, a title one day. 
Someone was like, I don't yeah. think so. They they probably would get cut before they fight for the title. I'm like, they're, dude, they're in their 20s and they're both ranked and in like a shallow yeah. division. Sue's like what, 23, 24? I don't even know if he's dead. He's 26 yeah. and Cop is 28. And Sue's like six feet tall yeah. as a flyweight. <laughs> like, I mean, like the kid's good. Yeah, wrestles with the Dagestani. Awesome like, yeah. like talent wise, they're both top 10 in my opinion. Yeah, that's a that's a great matchup. All right, let's move forward. What what's coming up after that? You got May seventh, I guess that's the card in in Phoenix. Uh, you got Michael Chandler against Tony Ferguson. What are the odds on that, in your opinion, in your mind? My okay, I'm not going to try to cheat, but uh, I'm going to have to say minus. It's going to be a small favorite for Oliveira, so minus. No, no, we're sorry, one. we're talking Chandler Ferguson. Chandler Ferguson. Oh, Chandler Ferguson. Yeah. Okay, Chandler, and what? When day is that? It's the same same card. It's the May seventh. Okay, uh, Chandler and Ferguson. Ooh, okay, I have to really think about this one. So Chandler, I'm gonna put minus two hundred, minus three fifty. Michael Chandler. Ooh, okay, big. They big want difference. you to take Tony Ferguson in this one because I think that Ferguson yeah. at plus two seventy five that's worth a look. Yeah, I, I agree. What were your initial thoughts on on the odds? I kind of understand it. What did it open at? Let's see. It opened at minus 155 for Chandler and quickly was bet up. Yeah, if minus 155 Chandler, now it's up to minus 300? 350. Minus 350. Woo! So big big steam coming in on Michael Chandler. I can understand why. I mean, he's going to have a big wrestling advantage, I would say. Um, I think he hits harder than Ferguson does. But at the same time, like, Ferguson has just been fighting like killers. Right, like not like they've been giving him easy matches. Same with same with Chandler, right? Who's he fought? He fought Dan Hooker. He's fought Oliveira. Right, and that's it. Am I missing anybody? No, I think that's it. Right. Uh, and he he fought Gaethje. No, and he fought Gaethje. Gaethje, yeah, Yeah. three, I believe. Yeah, and Ferguson. I just think Chandler has that pop. I think he has that pop now, and I don't know if Chandler can take big shots anymore. I think Chandler, the way he can. uh, Yeah, sorry, I don't think Ferguson can take the big shots. I think Chandler's too powerful still. So I think Ferguson hasn't been finished in these fights. Oh, the Gaethje one. Sorry, he's finished in the Gaethje, but he was yeah, he just didn't look good. That's what. We also saw him go into like that weird like brain default shut off mode that yeah. kind of looked like he was. I was right. like, I didn't like that too much at all. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't a positive future sign for the brain. So at that moment there, I was like, I don't know if his brain can take too much more. So we'll see how that one goes. Uh, Rose Namajunas against Carlos Esparza. The odds in your mind? Uh, I gotta say Rose. Rose minus two fifty. See, I thought it would be around there too. It's only minus one seventy right now. I, I think that oh. this is fantastic value if you're if you're taking Rose. I mean, Carla looked great in her last fight, and she's beaten Rose before. But she beat Rose when Rose was like twenty one or something, twenty two. I think that wherever yeah. this fight goes, Rose is going to have a pretty solid advantage. I mean, I think even if it goes to the ground, which I'm sure it will, because that's as far as his path, Rose is going to throw up all kinds of things at her and and make it a, a tough night. I'm going to take Rose yeah, by I submission even, on that. Uh, whatever the odds are on that, it's not out yet, but I, I'll take Rose by submission in that fight. I just think Rose's footwork's too good now. The way she moves her feet, the way she mixes her punches, it's going to be very hard for Carla to come in and even take her down. I think, uh, yeah, I think Rose will get it done. And I think even her submissions, her, her grappling, her jiu-jitsu is just uh, a lot better. So, yeah, going with Rose. Gaethje Oliveira, what, what are the odds in your mind? Gaethje Oliveira. I have to say Oliveira, small favorite. That's what was my original one. I got confused. So I'm going to say Oliveira minus 150. Yeah, he's minus 160. So you're in, you're in the okay. in the right uh, range there too. I like Oliveira in that fight too, just in terms of those odds. I think I just I think that even on the feet, I think Oliveira can have some success against Gaethje. And I think that as soon as it gets into any sort of scramble, like Gaethje's going to be in big trouble. Yeah, I think Gaethje will hit his legs. 
chop him a few times. I think Oliveira is just tough enough to kind of adapt, and I think it'll be close. I mean, I wouldn't, I don't think it would be crazy to say Gaethje gets a gets the win here, but uh, I'm still leaning towards Oliveira. UFC 275, Whitaker, Vittori. What are what are the odds? Ooh, Whitaker, Vittori. Whitaker, I'm going minus 250. It's minus 200. So you're you're pretty close. Okay. Um, at least that's at one spot. I don't know if it's available at other spots. It's only available at one spot right now. Yeah, I think I think that minus two hundred Whitaker is probably where it should be. I think that this fight takes place on the feet, three round fight, going to be a, a an interesting kind of like point point fighting type fight, I would guess. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see mean, a ton of wrestling. I think we're going to see mostly boxing. Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yuri Prokhorovka. Versus uh, that's the one I had to ask next. Yeah, that Odds. was my one I'm looking at. Uh, I think they have to put Prohaska as a favorite. I'm going to put Yuri at minus. I'm going to go crazy, but which I'm, I'm going to say I don't agree with what I right. think they're going to do. <laughs> but I'm going to say Yuri minus 200. You're close. Minus 180. Okay. You're in the ballpark. Yeah, I'm going to say I don't agree with it because I like Wojovic. Uh, but uh, not Wojovic, sorry. A Glover, but uh, yeah, I think Prohaska is going to be the favorite, but I think uh, Glover I'll, can get it. I'll done. be taking Glover in that fight. Yeah, I think his grappling, his consistency, his durability—I think he can do it. And here's one for you: Sean Strickland versus Alex Pereira. What are the odds? You heard? Oh, that, like you heard that. about this I one? I did hear about okay. it. Yeah, I know it was all over. I think because I was almost like Pereira was almost posting it before it was official so i was kind of like is it official is it not is he just Probably trying to call it out but yeah it's uh definitely official it seems but uh that's a tough one to pick the odds because i think the odds favorite has to be to me alex Pereira. It has to be a small favorite i'm gonna go alex Pereira minus 150 so it opened at strickland minus 175 and now really? it's Pereira minus 175 okay so, so the, the line swing, flipped yeah yeah, it's uh, I listened to him briefly, uh, Strickland talk with the schmo, mm-hmm. and I mean it was crazy interview like course, always, always. But yeah. uh, he was always he just said he's like, you yeah, know, people don't want me to see me strike. He's like, but I'll grapple. I'll be grappling Pereira basically if I have to. So he's like, as soon as I get hit, I'm grappling. So I think he knows that uh, he's going to be uh, in trouble if he keeps it on the feet. Yeah, I mean, Sean Strickland's a really smart fighter. He's got high fight IQ. I mean, he might say some wacky things in interviews. We got to remember when he's in there, he knows how to win fights. Yeah, the way he pops his jab, stays in your face, pressures you, can grapple. I mean, good fight for you him. But Pere- uh, you think Pereira's ever faced a good jab before? Hmm, good question. <laughs> no, the way he moves his head, the way he counters. I mean, it's like I told you, I've sparred with Sean, and it's very difficult pressure. But I mean, you're talking about one of the, the greatest strikers on the planet. So uh, he'll be good. And honestly, like you watch, you watch Pereira the way he moves his head, the way he counters it, it. It's incredible. And you don't think he's the most technical when you watch him on the pads and stuff, but it's just too sharp, too technical. The way it comes on angles, I don't think he'll necessarily put Strickland away. I don't think I don't think it's going to be that kind of fight. I think it's going to be a three round, um, three round decision win. But it'll be close. I, I think it'll be closer than most people think. Like this isn't booked yet, but Usman versus Edwards, if you were to come up with odds for that one, where where's it at? Oh, no, that's got to be Usman minus 400. Minus 260 right now. Okay. I think by the yeah, time I it gets see. the fight time, you're probably going to be closer than further. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it just seems like Usman's all over the place with who he wants to fight now. I hear him 
Yeah, he Canelo, he, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I think that's just that's a hype train. Um, we've heard Conor McGregor's name mixed in there. Uh, well, McGregor called heard? out Usman. I mean, that's why in, in a recent interview. There are yeah. odds for Usman versus McGregor. Do you want to guess what those are? Or Usman McGregor. Yeah, there, uh, there are Usman, odds posted. <laughs> Usman minus five hundred. Seven hundred. Oh, okay. Yeah, something crazy. Yeah. But Connor's big mouth will get it a little closer. <laughs> hey, if Connor calls for that fight, they might end up going to him. But I, I think that if Shemaev beats Burns in like the first round, you have to give Shemaev the next fight. Like even if Connor asks for it, like you're building a rocket ship here with Shemaev. Like if, if he can continue to look the way he has, I personally, I was on the phone with one of my producers this week. And I said, I think that Shemaev, and we'll probably talk about this next week, I think he's the best prospect we've ever seen in the UFC. Because you've got this combination of things where he didn't come from another big promotion or anything. I think he fought for Brave. Yeah. But, I mean... Yeah, he did. He, he comes in, and he's just demolishing people. And I th- I just don't think we've seen a prospect like that in the UFC before that came from that didn't come from another promotion that's just running through guys like this. I just I can't think of any real examples. That's going to get Would a title Connor shot after three wins in the welterweight division. Would Connor be an example? Like, Connor's an example for sure. He was one guy that on my phone call I brought up is, but Connor wasn't, was Connor like melting everybody in the first? I guess he was. I mean, he was, he was starching, he was, knocking people yeah. out, predicting the round he was knocking the yeah. Mystic Mac coming in there, had, you know, big attention around him, had the all of Ireland yeah, supporting so, I mean, him. This before is probably he was the closest there. thing we've seen to that. Yeah, but he wasn't as dominant. He didn't have the, it was a different type. Yeah. I mean, it's still something special. Still, definitely, it's very. I think he honestly, the more I'm seeing it, I think he kind of gets through burns without too much difficulty. Do you know what the odds way. on that just, one are? I, uh, I'd like for you I to don't. guess that one. I don't on the on the Shemayev burns. Shemayev burns. Or guess Shemayev Uzman. No Shemayev burns. Guess too. the Shemayev burns odds. Uh, Shemayev minus three fifty. Minus five ninety. Nearly on a wow. six to one favorite. It opened at wow. about even money. Opened at even money. It was bet up to Shemayev minus three hundred in like a couple minutes. It's minus six hundred now. And Burns is no joke. Like if Burns is the number two ranked guy in the division who was on this massive win streak, who won a round against Usman in their for in their fight. Like that's that, those are crazy odds. And and it's yeah, one of those and, things and where he like grapples in world championships too. Burns, yeah. He grapples, yeah, he yeah, grapples yeah, yeah. at like all these big tournaments where he's against like what Gordon Ryan and yeah, all these big them. guys and crazy. So, so I mean, I don't know. I, that, those odds, like, it's one of those things. Like, what line can we make it where people are going to bet against Shemaev? Like, that's basically what it's got to be because I'm sure p- people are probably adding Shemaev to all their parlays. They think Shemaev is going to run through Burns, but it's like at minus four hundred. Sorry, plus four hundred for Burns. Like you, yeah. you, you got to take a look at that and be like, "What? What were the odds for so. Burns versus Usman? Like, how how big of a favorite do you think Usman was over Burns?" Uh probably not as big as that. No, I would probably say close. minus three hundred. Minus two fifty. Yeah. So what's a, like, what's an Usman? What's an Usman Shemaev? Do they have odds on yeah. that? Usman is a minus one thirty five favorite against Shemaev. Shemaev plus one fifteen. Okay, but so that's, that's how that's only, how highly they think of Shemaev. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's the only scenario where Shemaev would probably be the underdog. I think he'd be favored right? against is- Israel personally. Again, just odds from an odds standpoint. Yeah. I think that if they made that matchup, because we haven't seen Israel deal with like a dominant grappler before, I think that he would probably be like a minus 150 favorite over Israel. Yeah, yeah. So would you put now if Shemaev 
gets past Burns, would you go right to title shot or do yes. you like like a Colby fight in no. between? I think I think that if he beats Burns in like impressive fashion, you have to give him the title shot because you have to ride the momentum. Like you have to, yeah, you have to build this guy up. Because it's like what they did with Francis. Like when Francis first fought Stipe and lost to Stipe the first time, like Francis was just demolishing everybody. It's like you, it just falls into your lap. You have this guy who comes out of nowhere in the division. He's got all this hype. Everybody's eager to see what he can do. He was a minus 200 favorite, I think, against Stipe in the first fight. Like, yeah, Jeez. it's one of those things where you, ha- and, and I also think that if he ends up beating Burns in dominant fashion, that line flips. Like I think he becomes a favorite over Usman. Yeah, I crazy think as, as it, it gets closer, yeah. No, I agree with you. I, I think it's crazy, yeah. I, I, I could see him being that double champ. I really think he has a tougher fight with Usman probably than Izzy. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that Usman is a tougher matchup for him. Yeah, no, I agree. That the, Just that rest, to be able to wrestle back, because you got to think, Izzy can't wrestle as well as Usman, obviously. And I mean, just, and again, Shamayev striking would be better than Usman. Maybe. What did Strickland say about Shamayev in that interview with the Shmo? I didn't get a chance to listen to it yet. Uh, get, uh, with Shamayev, I don't think he said too, too much about him, did he? He said they grappled together, and he kind of said, oh, he was kind of good. But he's like, the Shmo was like, well, the Shmo saw you kind of getting ragdoll and submitted a few times by him. And he was kind of like, ah, playing it off Sean Strickland style. <laughs> but apparently in the training, Shamayev was submitting uh, Strickland a couple times. But I think uh, – I think Strickland said he did pretty good on the feet, but he's like, ah, I'm not a strike. He's not a grappler or something, something Strickland style. But, uh, yeah, I think he got submitted a few times into training, which again, his ground <laughs> is that dominant, you know? He's man. I mean, this guy's the limit for this guy. It's like, we'll, we'll talk yeah. more about it next week because he's actually got his fight with Burns coming up. I'm going to be talking to Gilbert on Friday. I'm supposed to be talking to Thumbs Up, but I don't know when that's going to be. And, uh, I will recommend the morning combat interview that they did with Gilbert Burns. They went down to Sanford MMA and chatted with him. It's fantastic if you haven't had a chance to check it out. It's like 40 minutes of them just sitting and yeah, Gilbert just yeah. kind of pouring his heart out and being very authentic and real, which I always love to see. And Gilbert's just a great dude. Yeah, no, I, I saw part of it and I was really intrigued and I was like, I'm going to watch the rest of it. You, you nailed it. It was a very good interview. Yeah, like you want Gilbert to do well against Shemaev, even if he ends up losing that fight. Like you don't want him to get completely like demolished in the first round. But uh, yeah. it would do a lot for the promotion if that happens. <laughs> like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Gilbert's huge, though. It's crazy to me how he cuts down, too. Yeah, he's, he's a, a big, big dude. boy. Yeah, insane. But Shamayev, man, I, I remember I, I was like, ah, oh, he's got to earn my respect. Well, he's earning it. He's slowly, he's getting there. And I mean, I think. Uh, <laughs> so if he beats Burns, he's, he's winning he's in earned. my books. Uh, honestly, I, I I don't place Burns on the highest of pedestals. I like him. He's not one of my favorites. But yes, I, I wouldn't put him on a pedestal, but I would say he's the legit real deal. And he deserves uh, the attention. But. He needs that one more for me, but he's close. He's you getting notice, it. You notice, though, you never hear Usman bringing up Shemaev. And I will say, Usman versus Shemaev, like, Usman keeps kind of falling backwards into these big fights. Like, he's got, he has had two with Jorge, two with Colby. I mean, the Burns fight isn't all that big. But, I mean, if you, when you remember when Woodley was the champion, he was calling for all the big names. I want to fight GSP. I want to fight Khabib. I want to fight, he wanted all these big super fights. And they never ended up happening. He ended up fighting with Darren Till. Usman when he lost the belt, Maya, like not you know not not the most lucrative situations. Whereas Usman just keeps falling into these big fights all the time, and of course he yeah. takes two to tango, and he's a big part of that. But it's like if Shamayev ends up coming up before Usman decides to retire, and he's able to beat Shamayev, like he'll be one of the all-time greats. 
Yeah, I think that was, that's going to be probably his big test, right? I think at this point now he's been so dominant winning. I think everyone looks at uh, Shamayev as the next big test. But I think with Usman, the biggest mistake, and I bring it up all the time, it's like him being friends with Izzy is kind of almost hurting his legacy a little bit. He needs to kind of, um, I think now in this generation of great champions, every great champion had two belts. So I mean, Usman says he wants to move up to 205 and fight for that belt. Yeah, he'll probably do well there, too. Like, I wouldn't say it's crazy to say that, but I mean, I think him not getting that 185 belt will hurt his legacy in the big end. Yeah, I mean, every like everyone in that big top we're talking about had the two belts, so I think it's become a thing. Champ, champ's a well, real I mean, thing these if days. If Usman can move up to 205 and win a belt, like, that's all-time great status. Like, to see somebody move up two yeah. divisions, that's that wild. That's insane. And that's what Zahudo wants like to, to see do. Zahudo wants to fight at 45, but he's like... Yeah, I don't know. He's got one foot in, one foot out, it seems. Yeah, but I still think he can do it. I think he's got the IQ, the gym, the people around him, the motivation, the strong mindset. Someone crazy like him can do Cejudo it. Or Uzman. I, mean, I, I think both could do it. Yeah. I think both guys have that potential, to be honest. They, they're they both fantastic wrestlers. And you need, I think in this day and age, you need that wrestling. If you're going to move up two divisions, you better have good wrestling. And it's got to be a division where maybe the guy isn't the strongest of grapplers. Yeah. I mean, if Uzman right. beats... Of course, Edwards first, then Shamayev, and then moves up to 205 and wins the title. Like, he'll be the, like, undisputed greatest of all time. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I agree. Mean, that, I think he has a better chance doing that than fighting Canelo. That's like shoot I mean? for the moon like, type stuff, right? Like, yeah, the Canelo yeah, fight like is that. probably more of a money grab or for him to want to kind of test himself. But, like, the, the amount of hoops that the UFC has to jump through to set that up, are it's enormous. I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. No, no I, I just think it's ridiculous, but... I still think he has a better chance in beating a heavyweight than beating Canelo. Canelo like is just a, a heavyweight in the UFC? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for fighting, sure. Like, he's a better chance literally in a fight with Francis than he John does Jones. in a fight with Canelo. <laughs> Moves up the heavyweight like, to fight John Jones? Yeah, but to me, it's that crazy. Like, if you've ever sparred a real, even a high-level amateur boxer is better than, you know, Usman. A high-level amateur guy is probably better boxing than me. You know, no, I mean, the high-level amateurs are Olympic gold medalists. So, I mean. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I don't think that it was just funny to see a, a wrestler talk about fighting Canelo. Yeah, like, it's I mean, insane. at one point, Lomachenko and, like, Gennady Golovkin were high-level amateurs winning the Olympics, right? And, like, they, yeah, they jumped into amateur boxing, fights. And, you know, <laughs> jumped into pro boxing. Yeah. It was, like, minus 8,000 yeah. favorites against the, the people they were facing, you know? Insane. But, yeah, no, I think Usman, I think. We don't have much left of him either, right? It seems like his knees are completely gone, hand surgeries now. So I think we got to get the best out of Usman in this next couple of years. Yeah, I think he's probably only got one, two years left, honestly. It seems like he's been contemplating retirement for some time. But anyways, I know you need to go, Joe. Thanks for this. Next week, UFC 273. We will preview that. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.